Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Happy Friday. It is October 1st. I feel like the first half this year was dragging on, and now we are finally to that slide where all of a sudden we're like, oh, wow, now it's Thanksgiving and Christmas and it's all over. You can see around corners. I can. You called it. The next Friday we would meet and hold to have this podcast would be October 1st. I was skeptical. I couldn't believe it. All you have to do is look at your calendar. I know. It's super tricky. You nailed it again. Boom. Here we are. All right, so here we are on a beautiful, sunshiny October day. I know it's gorgeous out there. If we could push pause on the weather, maybe not the political climate, I would do that for sure. I've been watching Congress and I'm like, do I want to watch? Watch, watch him or just like dip in and dip out. So I did the dip in and dip out thing today. The last thing I saw um, was President Biden dropping by the Capitol. And when the president drops by, that means his legacy, even this early on in the presidency, is at stake. He has important things going on. Mara, I want to start with you. So we have a lot going on, and I think a lot of people who are at home watching, it's a lot to take in at once when we're talking about the debt ceiling, and then we're also talking about uh, standby bills. We're talking about actual infrastructure that was negotiated the bipartisan deal, and then we have the other infrastructure deal going through. So there's a lot of money getting talked about all at once, and people are like, "Oh my gosh, what's happening? Who's in charge? And what happens next?" Yeah, it is. It's too much to unpack, and that's part of the criticism I have that they're sort of putting a wrench in some of it. When and and remember, this is all in a post or. a a recovery pandemic economy. Yes. So the decisions we're making are more important than ever. So maybe to unpack them uh, quickly is that uh, the debt ceiling raising and the voting to keep the budget going, you know, that has historically been a snooze fest until just a handful of years ago. I mean, if you look over the board of our country, and this is the area in which I have the most criticism. Now it's a sport, it feels now like. Now it's a sport, and it is 50-50 on who's to blame. There is no differentiation. We just switch you know, colors of uniform depending on where we are and argue the opposite side is how I feel. I feel like there's no yeah. integrity in the argument. It is just like, oh, last time I said this, now Greg's in charge. Okay, now I'm going to say this. Absolutely, because so, you look at the Trump, ridiculous. which was the lo- yeah. under President Trump, it was the longest ever shutdown. I believe it was Democrats being mad about the $5 billion, I think it was with a B, for the border wall. Now we're talking um, trillions, and raising the debt ceiling, and this time we've got Biden yeah. in the White House, and the Republicans are mad. And but we have to have a series of uh, we we need to have serious conversations about our debt ceiling and our spending. But you cannot hold hostage our budget because of the impact that it has not only on people who work for the federal government. And in Utah, if you look at the last cycle, I mean, it was real jobs lost for real points of time, and these are real families yeah. who need the income. So there's a real, but then there's this other effect in Utah, particularly that 
hospitality industry, those things associated yeah. with the parks. But then you also have the ripple effect in which the market starts to get afraid because we can't even get our act together on a base budget. And then you've got the international community looking and saying, geez, Louise, America. Now, I will say we pulled back from the brink at least more than 24 hours, but then that was right on the cusp, as you said. But then we punted to December 3rd. So then when right. we've got families being like, do I buy my right. kids Christmas gifts? Do I get them the Hanukkah surprise they want? Do I or have do I not? Do I have any money? Do I have a job? And then Congress doesn't want to meet because the holidays, they want to go home. And then the debt ceiling conversation is going to happen in like two weeks. And then we haven't even begun the conversation, as you suggest, about the bipartisan infrastructure bill, which is being sort of held up very much by the Democrats who are having a singular discussion about this 3.5 and what they're going to do. I call that hand-to-hand combat amongst the Democrats in their own caucus in the House. Pelosi is just failing on every front. She keeps promising that bill is going to come forward. She can't get her caucus together because the the, the more left leaning members of that of that uh, caucus of hers are livid that the more moderate uh, members don't want it to be tethered to the three point five trillion in spending and all of that. They're just they're just they are not coming together as a party to advance this forward. So yeah, it's it that that's dysfunctional in an already dysfunctional place. The debt ceiling discussion is always going to get worse the higher you keep allowing that debt to accumulate. Yeah. That's not a. That's not just a, a the same conversation over and over. That keeps getting higher. I mean, President Trump at one point wanted to cut more and, and not raise the debt ceiling, and even the the Republicans in the Congress were telling them to get lost on that idea. They're going to absolutely raise it. So that's where it is a little pageantry because Republicans and Democrats in Congress have always been okay same. with yeah. raising the debt ceiling. But where I find myself is my son, who's seventeen. He's a senior. Yeah, he doesn't know a lot about this type of politics and he's like dad is the government going to shut down and what does that even mean no son and then try to explain to a, your high school kid what this means no there's a debt ceiling because we're not supposed to have the country in too much debt so they have a statutory limit well we just keep raising that so we can print more money so we can spend more money and every time this this d- debate comes don't worry son it'll be fine we're always going to raise it and then when you, I hear myself explaining it to him it sounds a little nonsense it doesn't sound like this that trajectory can go forever. At some point, we're gonna have to pay the piper. At some point, you just can't keep raising it and raising it. So, you know, right now it is political pageantry, but the debt ceiling, I mean, come on, at some point we've gotta really stare at whether that can just be raised every time we And the Yeah, and the interesting thing is we have been at war for 20 years, so I think there's been a lot of spending going to war. Finally, we're out of our longest war in Afghanistan, and so you would think this might be the time where we're like, okay, we're in the middle of a pandemic. Let's, you know, tighten the bootstraps. Let's figure this out. But instead, we're talking about this massive spending. Although Democrats right now are saying that the $3.4 or $5 trillion, depending on how you um, parse that out, Mara, would actually be flat. And it wouldn't be new spending because they would get it um, from the rich. Yeah, Is that going to work? Yeah, they're suggesting that it's revenue neutral. But here's the context for what we're talking about. The compromise infrastructure legislation that Romney was a big part of is written, and you can judge it, and you can lay it all out there. And you can the, read it. I love 3. that. The 3.5 is intriguing because it's not written. So part of the discussion that's really tricky right now for certainly Democrats, but also for Republicans, are people are capitalizing on the fact that there is no 3.5. We have a vague list of what people have said, and we're politicizing ports and parts, and, and we're either for or against, but they have not even, the Democrats have not even been, been able to build consensus around actually bill writing. Right. And so we have this infrastructure bill that's being held up, and that is, interestingly enough, 
a big part of the argument. A big part of the argument is, are we going to take our time and consider the 3.5? Or, are, and we're gonna pass this infrastructure bill, but then the politics don't trust each other, so they say to the Republicans, no, nah, man, if you pass this well, infrastructure bill, really, yeah. you're never gonna have a conversation well, with are. us about they, the 3.5. And I'll, I'll just tell you, right. they won't. Because, They've said that. Yeah, because the 3.5 trillion, I would say, it, I would argue is a disgrace in terms of the, th the details I've seen of it. It is social engineering at, at the highest order. But we don't and have the those 50, details. 50 Senate, well, there are we some don't. that are out there. You're right. I mean, look, but what they talk about and what they've actually argued for, there's some pretty disturbing things that they talk about. So what I'll say is, 50-50, <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Leave the kids the 50, home alone. At the 50-50 split in the Senate, uh, I get, you're just not going to see that $3.5 trillion bill pass. But I will say that... I think there should I mean, never be imagine, a $3.5 trillion dollar bill. If you want to pay trillion. college, pay college. If you want to... Like, yeah. do each bill as a bill, like it's each issue. Senator Manchin is going, look, you got to cut $2 trillion out of this before it's even a straight-faced discussion. And that drives, like, AOC and some of the others crazy. But it is that they're trying to leverage the infrastructure bill to force the passage of the other, and that I don't think will happen. Yeah. So you're in. That's where this stalemate exists. But Heidi, to your point, I saw this on social media today, so everybody should fact check me. But okay. Um, it said it was this notion about we don't even know what a trillion is, and it asserted that one million is equal to I can't remember the context, but like eleven days, and one billion is equal to thirty-one point five years. They were just trying to contextualize into it. something we could understand. Right, because billion doesn't mean much to me. No, it doesn't. But just like if that is truly right. the difference between a million and a billion, eleven days versus thirty-one point five years, three point five, all but the extreme left is saying, "Oh man, three point five, really?" But you know, and and Manchin, I mean, that's an interesting part in which he's apparently laid down that three point five marker two and a half months ago, yeah. and we're just hearing about it now. So. It's a mess, and I'm sure we'll talk about it some more. Um, but I would separate that in my mind from the conversation of budget and debt ceiling. Yeah. But doesn't don't, does I want to know what the Democrats think? There, I, I are the, how are they winning midterms when they're having so much uh, dysfunction so, within the? Party so let themselves? me stand up for how the Democratic process. Well, we haven't plan. had midterms because yet. I know that's what I mean. It's like, well, how are you going to build the confidence of the people when these? You're, these that's why Biden's right at the Capitol they, right you now. You can't blame the Republicans. The Democrats are running the show. The administration and Congress, House and Senate, it's on. So it's on the Democrats. The and they're not doing anything. The Republican secret sauce has been compliance. And, and they do get their ducks in a row, their soldiers in order, and y'all pass things pretty <laughs> nice. quick. But I'm Having not going speaker, to celebrate. Not exactly I am, true, oh, says the guy who has 89% of the majority in the House, wah, wah. Yeah. So, like, I'm just saying <laughs> that, that I am never going to criticize the Democrats because they have diversity of thought and because they're having oh, a hard please. time wrangling. Well, this. I would hope you would have a good explanation for what we're seeing, but, and that's a decent it's one. It's diversity. It's I don't know that they're winning the confidence it's, American it's called right different points of view. Yeah. And I know you guys can button up your your messaging and hold tight to it, but it's not diversity of thought. At least the yeah. Democrats want different people at the table. Okay. I would argue I'll, right I'll, now that both parties right have now, an so interesting I'm, I'm split because I think it's interesting watching Democrats have kind of the extreme left of the party and the inside because I feel like Republicans have that too where they're the ones who are probably 
more in line with Trump right now and those who are maybe more moderate like Romney. So right. I think both parties have that interesting yeah, internal fight get, going on. You want to see Romney look like a fiscal hawk and a conservative? Watch what the Democrats are doing. It really brings uh, Senator Romney to the yeah. right. And I think Biden really um, needs a win right now because it hasn't been a great week for him in Congress. Uh, the generals have been testifying there and just listening to them. I think in some ways they feel like they've had to be the defender of the chief um, talking about the troop withdrawal because I think both Republicans and Democrats can agree right now that it didn't go how we wanted on a million different levels and for the world watching. Uh, I'll let you start on this one, um, Greg. It seems to me after we've listened to the generals that they said, yes, we all told the president we needed to leave some troops behind. And it seems like 25 was the kind of yeah. general, 2,500 was the general consensus. President Biden in an ABC interview said that's not what he was told. Um, the president can make decisions like that, right? They're advisors. Sure. So that's so, all right. But here's the thing. I, in hindsight, you, you listen to that ABC George Stephanopoulos uh, interview, and given the specificity of the question posed uh, to President Biden by George Stephanopoulos at the time, he said, uh, "Were you were you advised to leave any troops behind?" He said, "No." Are you sure? really? No. Twenty five hundred troops. You were not advised. He went to that number. He went to that very number that we've heard. Because that's how many was in the country at the time. I think we drawn down to that. Twenty five hundred to be to stay here. He said, "No, not to my recollection." So I, I, when, when Trump was president, it was just Trump lies, just, just a blanket statement. You didn't have to give an occasion. You didn't have to say it. He lied to, in that interview in ABC News. He was given that, that advice. He didn't have to take it, but he was certainly given it, which he denied he ever heard. You know, he, he said, oh, there'll never be a vaccine mandate. That's not true. He's absolutely advocating for that. He said, uh, yeah, I, you can just go step by step and look at the things. Uh, you know, the border's closed, folks. The border's closed. It's not closed. Are the you asserting closed. that a president lying the is president, a for you? I heard it so much <laughs> with the Trump administration from you. I would think that at least we'd have a, a Democrat president that you can't just off the top of your head think of four doozies of lies that he's just I am a out big fan of American learning people. as you go so you can change your opinion but it does seem there's been a lot of flopping from one side to another uh, as we were talking about President Biden has the right to choose and not listen to his advisors but did they have the right to tell the people opposite of what mm, I don't think so so Mara what do you think is this a bad thing for the president that his generals have had to come out and say no we wanted these people to stay ultimately it was uh, President Trump who wanted all as into zero yeah back I, down, mean, I think we're out. focused on a singular aspect and one of the things that the general said so I the, the debate was about whether we kept a military base active and we decided to only have because we left troops but we left troops only at the airport right and we sort of abandoned the rest of the country and I think the consensus was between the intelligence community and the military we didn't have good information and we guessed wrong about the Taliban certainly for sure and as I said a few weeks ago the buck stops ultimately with the president absolutely unquestionably an interesting little fact though about American consumers of news is that Biden's approval ratings have gone up two percent in the last couple of weeks? Now they're still dismal. I mean, I'm not selling. They're still I, I, in the forties. They're still in the forties. Forty-eight was yeah. that the last well, number I saw? Yeah. But they, but they, well, I mean, you know, they're higher than Trump's were. So, I, but like, <laughs> oh, I'm just saying, like, it's an interesting low. thing about what we're listening to and how we're listening to it. But I think what I appreciated about um, the military's testimony is that they acknowledged what they got wrong and what they would have done differently. And and um, 
and how we should progress. And that is what I expect. I sort of, and that's been a real, usually, not always, but usually reliable with the military and that they'll sort of own up to stuff and yeah. say, we got that wrong. And that happened with these guys. And so my faith and confidence was bolstered that still these guys are playing it straight and are doing the best they can um, and, and presenting. And I thought that that was a good moment for America to hear always from our leaders. But at the end of the day, I think the analysis that I've heard over and over again, which I think is the most true, which is this was 20 years, and we've got to unpack all 20 of them. Yeah, 20 years that we've got. We've got financial problems, war right. problems, all yes. kinds of problems. So yeah. we've got all kinds of things to fix if you need a DIY project here in the exactly. United States of America. We have nothing to do this afternoon. Yes, we've got a few things to work on. I want to go local here for a minute uh, instead of talking military but police. And our big problem in Salt Lake City right now well, I guess I, it's not our big problem. I think we have a couple big problems. Homelessness is a problem, and I think policing is a problem right now. I think they're down at least 50 officers last time I checked. Uh, response times are not great, and that was highlighted um, this past weekend when University of Utah football player Aaron Lowe was shot and killed at a party. There was also a 20-year-old young woman we haven't been speaking a lot of, but um, her name hasn't been released, also in either critical or serious condition in the hospital. and. There was a lot happening, Mara, where I think there was multiple calls of, you know, loud stuff going on at a party. It's not the most important thing in the world, but obviously those calls progressed into something worse. Is that a problem? You're coming from a police chief wife standpoint. It's a huge problem, and I'm a supporter of um, the officers who are serving. I'm a double supporter of officers who are continuing to serve our community in what has been largely a hostile environment for a couple of years. And there is, there is nothing wrong with the men and women who are serving in Salt Lake City Police Department. I mean, you know, they, everybody makes mistakes, but this is a fine group of people. But I do think this excuse making is over. I am astonished that we are continuing to keep a chief that every time there's an accusation, he essentially answers teary-eyed, things are really hard. So what I say is then step aside for someone who doesn't mind doing the hard stuff. And some facts I think that aren't getting out there are there are 519 allowed officer spots now. So like if they were to be at their fullest capacity, it'd be 519. And from what I understand as of this week, if they are short officers at all, as in men and women out on the street, they're short maybe 19, which means we have the highest level of police officers on our streets that we have had in Salt Lake City's history. Salt Lake City has mm. not had, That's interesting. we have not that. had a history of under-resourcing the police department. We're not Detroit. We don't have cars that don't work. We so they're, have, not, they're not short officers? So we hear no. they're down 50 officers. Yeah. That's, yeah. That's what they keep saying, but they have more entitled officers, and we also just heard from Chief Brown this week that they hired 40 in their class. So of the 519, there's probably 30 or 40 who are in training, who are still in post-training. But even that number, even let's take it down to 480, let's say that's how many men and women are on the street. That is still higher than any number we have ever had on the streets of Salt Lake City. And our population growth counters it. So, so let's even say we have 2 to 3% population growth every year. Well, you're seeing that number being end over end of um, enforcement officers being allowed in the budget. So we've grown as our city has grown, and we have resources. And so in my mind, this is really solely a question of leadership. I think every public service department needs more people. 
And I think that the relationship between the unfettered homeless issue that I don't think is being addressed either, and the relationship to police resourcing, I think there's a direct relationship to between those. I think those are disproportionately taking resources. But at the end of the day, I think it is a management leadership issue. Uh, we don't come from an era in which we end over end have under-resourced our police department. And, and I will say... I'm so bottom line, should you get a fast response? Like if I call and I hear my neighbors are being loud and they're annoying and I want my kids to go to sleep, should I get a quick response from the police so or is that kind of like here's stop what I being a Karen? Priority one... <laughs> like priority Sorry, one, I don't like the rumor name. Priority one, from Karen. what I understand, the standard across major cities is four to five minutes is the gold standard. Up until a few years ago, our average was about six minutes. And what we know of the last few months is we started this year, we started this year with about a 10 minute response time to priority ones, and currently we are at 17 minutes. And when I think I'm gonna be just really blunt and crass about this, I personalized it this week in which I thought 17 minutes, most likely I'm probably looking at an assault. Being a, a woman walking, I'm probably looking at an assault and maybe a rape. Well, at that point, you can assault me, leave me, get in your car and head to Sandy yeah. by the time the but cops I, show up. But Mara, I think you're being voracious. 17 minutes, how about you're assaulted by someone that's homeless or, or just someone, whether it's a criminal, whether they, you don't know, but you're, you're accosted and they never come at all. That happens in Salt Lake City every single day. You can call 911, you can report a disturbance, something that could be escalating, and unless it's already a homicide, I'm gonna tell you, many, many of those occasions go unanswered. It is wrong, it is, a, it is and there isn't, you, they, we do not have the luxury of saying, well, this silo is homelessness, and this silo is drug trafficking, and this silo over here is human trafficking. It is sadly all inter intermixed. It is it all of this lawlessness ripples across. When you have an I-15 from an open border in the south with fentanyl and, and heroin and everything coming up here, and you have a climate where cartels, sophisticated drug uh, drug cartels and crime syndicates, know that the laws play in their favors in their favor. It ripples from there, and that's where the wolves come out. That's where people prey on others. That's where the idea that there are consequences or immediate consequences for your lawless behavior, they go out the window. It's all related. It is absolutely all related. And until you have a, a, a police force that is going to protect people and protect and, and prioritize public safety and get these response times in a reasonable place. If you have a disturbing the peace call at uh, 1030, okay, ignore it. And then two hours later, as we've seen, and the only reason we know about this is it was a a higher profile person that was tragically killed, this University of Utah football player. But when you aren't able to address lawlessness at a, at a smaller extent or a lower extent, it can build and it does build and it gets worse. And then you'll have a lot of people responding at 1230 instead of the 1030 disturbing the peace call. You'll have that homicide and that shooting where you'll have a lot more officers there. It's, it, you know what, this has been addressed before we saw some improvement after 2017 in Salt Lake City. We, we do, the state helped and partnered and deployed more resources on the lawlessness front uh, that absolutely helped people that were experiencing homelessness to not be preyed upon. We saw how that can work if you're, if you're committed to public safety. This city and its chief, in my opinion, are not. They can, they can pay plenty of lip service to it, but when you see what's happening in this city, it's, you, you, can, you can talk all day. As long as this crime's going on this way, it's not it's not acceptable. Yeah, and I think small things can turn big. And I think we've seen a couple big examples here in Utah recently, where we're you know 
looking so closely at what Moab police did um, with Brian Laundrie and Gabby Petito, they were obviously called out there for what seemed like, you know, just a little bit of a screaming match on the street, which eventually, you know, a few weeks later turned into a murder. Hindsight's always twenty twenty when sure. you look at a case like that. But then you think, oh, well, you know, somebody's just complaining about this party, but whoever's calling 911 is obviously concerned about something, and I'm sure they're going to respond to things sometimes where they're like, okay, you guys, let's all grow up, and this wasn't, like, really needed. But most people who call 911 call 911 because they're worried, they're concerned, and they need help, and... We might have to have a few wolf calls that right. we show up to right. because of that. And so I think that's the frustrating part. What you can do, though, if you live in Salt Lake City, is actually listen to some of the debates coming up. There's some forums and debates for the city council. I think those matter, usually municipal elections we all want to ignore and we don't care about. But I think at this point, the council members probably can make a big difference in what happens in the city. those underrepresented districts. I mean, yeah. the ballpark is really concerned right now. The west side's really concerned right now. And they need to show up but I will say I think by and large it's a it's a leadership issue and you can't have people or who are afraid it is the time for action and you need to be listening for people who are willing to take an action and then willing to correct if it was in fact the wrong decision but reward decision-making right now yeah and I think uh, to, thinking about our law enforcement and public safety again there were some narratives where law enforcement with a very, very broad brush were painted as the bad guys. And there were arguments made nationally uh, that if you defund the police uh, and put those resources towards community programs that help people within their community, then you're gonna see uh, less crime and you're not gonna see the law, law enforcement prey upon people or harm people. And that was a narrative that stuck. And you saw a lot of jurisdictions that were running with that type of uh, policy. I'm sorry. It, I, no matter what we want to do to make sure that bad players, the bad apples within the law enforcement are, are rooted out, whatever we want to do, the idea that there aren't real criminals or wolves out there and the absence of, of law enforcement somehow is going to make a community safer is naive at best. It's There was always going to be a consequence if you removed law enforcement or deprioritized law enforcement in your public safety pursuits. I mean, you have to have it. And, it, and it's it's uh, like I said. It's it's it was wrongheaded to say as much that you had to defund them or put the resources somewhere else. Uh, and I think we're seeing some of those consequences play out. Thirty percent homicide rate gone up in last year. Uh, FBI reported it's the highest year over year increase since they've been keeping these stats nationally since the '60s. And I don't think it's a coincidence. But I Greg, think it's I mean, this the lawlessness the defund didn't get much traction here, including Mayor Mendenhall, who never sort of got into I, I, that. You don't so think I just want some to make of the clear, resignations didn't I, have something I, to do with that. I, I just, didn't. I think, I think the pressure that they're under. But to be clear, I don't think Salt Lake City ever really seriously considered defunding for years. We, I have think been they told they paid lip service services. to defunding because there was people who were protesting, but, but they did. Then they passed the largest police yeah. budget they had ever had. Yeah. And we've been adding to that, including support services with social workers, and all that's really good because I think a lot of us believe that what looks like crime is actually homelessness and poverty. And so it is poverty, mental health, and right. yeah. yeah. Look, after the riots, uh, the riot took place in Salt Lake City in May of 2020. Uh, the, there were police officers that were told not to intervene, to not do anything. Property was destroyed. Think police car was turned over, caught on fire. There were there were police officers that had bricks and other things thrown at their faces. And at, their, at the point-blank range, there were officers that were harmed. The message from the mayor's office the next morning on Sunday morning was, if you saw any misconduct from, the law, from law enforcement or members of the National Guard, please contact our office. That had 
a major impact on law enforcement yeah. morale. Uh, when that statement came out on that Sunday after the the riot on Saturday, we have a and that's a that's a problem. problem. I'm telling you, that is a problem. you don't feel supported in a dangerous job. You're not going to stay in. But that we job. have a newly elected mayor who um, is choosing who the police chief is right now. So the problem is figuring it out. And I know that they can make decisions on the fly. I was really surprised. It was a couple of weeks ago. Uh, the Salt Lake City Mayor Mendenhall held a late night news conference, which we thought was a little bizarre because normally you don't get a news conference at 10 o'clock unless the world's blowing up. Yeah. But it was about a little little pond, a little lake at a park that may or may not have been tainted. It's important. I don't right. want my dogs or children drinking out of it. But we know that we can respond and hold news conferences at 10 o'clock at night and take action if we want to. Right. So this is something I think people want to see action on. And I'm going to go dig into these numbers more because Mara's opened my mind to all these <laughs> new problems. Because sometimes you hear what they give you, you know, the, yeah, the right. stats, and you're like, oh, okay, I get it. You're down 50 officers. That sucks. By the way, if you don't charge a crime, it doesn't mean crime went down. Remember that, too. If you're not charging also, for crimes, it doesn't remember, mean that the crimes are not happening. Remember when you're worried about violent crime and the department tells you, that they've been arresting people, I would go and check and make sure they're not arresting on misdemeanors because that's a common bait and switch when you're worried about violent crime and what they give you as a misdemeanor statistic. So you want to give them a round of applause for tickets and jaywalking, go ahead. But it didn't help the violent crime portion. For sure. The data can be manipulated. All right, we're in the speed round uh, right now, so we have to be fast. We're not going to solve the vaccine problem. Uh, (laughs) Governor, we have given it an honest try. We've really given it the old college try. Uh, Governor Cox in his monthly news conference said that there will be no vaccine mandates, and that meant that if the legislature tries to block, um, he says he would block any attempt by the Utah legislature to prevent private companies from mandating the vaccine. So he says if a, a private company wants to mandate the vaccine or whatever, that's fine. But he also doesn't want a government mandate. Are you okay with that, Greg? I think, I think government, when they decide to create a legal shield of, uh, where uh, there aren't any businesses that would be liable to any kind of litigation from employees or patrons related to uh, to COVID, that was the government creating a mandate that you can't sue anybody, any business over, over COVID. If someone wants to give up that legal protection and get into the game of deciding who should be vaccinated or proving that they've been and getting into people's medical freedom or privacy, then you should not enjoy the state's uh, bestowed immunity from legal action that was done right after the pandemic started in a special session. So I would say it's not a mandate. It's saying, look, we mandated that no one could ever sue a business because of COVID. But if you're going to get into that space and you're going to start dictating, then then you don't get that that shield from legal uh, I the word I love the word dictating. So I saw one, some meme with a potato. Like a and a it's like once. okay, if you want to do it this way, then you don't get the you don't get shielded by the state government, which was a mandate to people to say, hey, you're not allowed to sue anyone if you have some backlash from COVID when you went to a, so a business. We're in the so we're speed round, so I'm going to be quick. My two thoughts are: that was so quick. I feel like Boom. I am in the twilight zone because I'm listening to Republicans who don't want to support the free market and they're walking around with it. hashtags that say, my body, my choice. And I'm like, do, 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 what just Maybe happened? you just convinced us all, Mara. What maybe, just maybe we happened? just all came together. So, so come over here so and join us. I We're love with you now. that the Republicans are for my body, my choice. Yes. Yay, I'm going to take you up on that. Thanks. And then number two, y'all want to restrict the private sector. It's just We're a, not restricting it's, it. It's fascinating I'm saying right if you want to get into that, you can't enjoy the government immunity from like, litigation assert that he's for private business is amazing. And uh, I want to move back to the national level for one second. While we've all been talking debt ceilings and how much we should spend and infrastructure, uh, Senator Lee has been very busy this week. He has uh, nine bills he's been working on. Um, 
vaccine related. I think some of them are super interesting. We can't get to all of them. I'm going to post them on the website if you want to go through and look at them yourself. One thing that failed miserably is he tried to push out what we actually have here in Utah. Um, it seemed to kind of get laughed at in Congress, but he was trying to talk about the possibility of a personal exemption. And some states have a religious exemption or a philosophical exemption, but we have an extra layer here in Utah that a lot of states don't. That was definitely a no-go in Congress. Um, were you surprised by any of this, Mara? All of these bills are DOA. He knew it from the beginning. This is, mere, this is not hard to figure out. This is a senator up for re-election who has an inter-party fight and decided to sing to his choir. And all of these are rudimentarily the, the, like sort of constructed. Most of the questions at the Supreme Court level were decided in the 1918 and post-consequential vaccine mandate discussions we had there. So this is nothing but theatrics of a man who's being challenged in this There party. is a lot of political theatrics. And I should note that um, we are just over a year away from an election where we're going to be looking at his office. Becky Edwards, I know, has been fundraising like crazy, and there's others. Greg, is this political theatrics in your mind, or is this important legislation he's no, going I after? At these bills, I'm so glad someone's running them, but he's not the only one. Marco Rubio, uh, Senator Rubio from Florida, just put out a, a, some bills that he's also advancing. Look, what are we supposed to say? Only the socialist bills have any serious merit in the, in Congress nowadays? I want someone to respect our medical privacy and, and freedoms. And, I, the and I'm telling you. The Republicans don't even think they're that, serious. Yes, they do. Well, whether they do or not, you're talking about the same people that don't think it's serious to not keep raising the debt ceiling. I'm talking about real laws that would actually impact and help the everyday people. And, it, and if you're looking to do that, it is not political theater. It's something that should be done. And, and, and proof that it's not political theater is that you're seeing a number of Republican senators that are filing bills to address this idea of mandates because what really scared everyone was when Biden said, before he was saying, again, one of his lies, we're not going to require va mandates. We're not going to require vaccine mandates. And he said, you know, you guys are really testing my patience out here because you're not doing what I want. So now I'm going to mandate um, and we're going to use OSHA to enforce it. And that was pretty chilling to a lot of people. They would like to see uh, the Senate and Congress push back on that. And so, you, you know, you have that and then you... I don't want to bleed issues, but it's it makes the mandates become even more draconian when at the same time they're talking about the IRS looking at $600 transactions. It just feels like this administration and the Democrats are just sinking their claws into our everyday lives deeper and deeper. So I want Senator Lee to run these bills. And yet I we, want Senator we need Rubio to remember that Biden's agenda on COVID is by and large supported in poll after poll by 60% plus of Americans. So it cuts, across, people it to, cuts to, across party lines. To keep their job that, by that getting his, vaccinated his or proving their, policies showing their and papers. Are break. by and large accepted I as. I think the um, interesting thing to look at too is that most Americans support getting vaccines, have chosen to get vaccines. But there's a lot of people who, even though they support it and got it, let's put Chris Stewart in here this week. I think he's fully vaccinated, says right. that he's going to boycott the jazz. Right. Are fine getting vaccinated, but still don't want it to be a mandate from the government. They yeah, want it to be a choice. Yeah, but we can I mean, Chris Stewart just like wore his privilege on his sleeve. So to him, I say, oh, really? You're not going to go to the jazz games anymore? Don't. You don't want to get a passport to travel in another city or uh, uh, country? Don't. You don't want to smoke indoors and get kicked out if you're smoking indoors, then don't smoke indoors. There are so many things that we've all agreed to do, and this is just, his privilege was so no, not, bright not and it, shiny this week. None of it is, again, if, if, we, if we were ever to take the, the arguments of Black Lives Matter seriously in 2020, 
they, all, they often argued that there were some laws that would impact the minority community in a much more detrimental way than white America. Well, if you look at those that are vaccine hesitant, black America is certainly a significant demographic of those that are not choosing to be vaccinated. If you look at the 18 to 45 year old uh, demographic of black Americans, it is a large, large portion of people and they're working class people, people that are working hard that you can't Delta Airlines take 200 bucks a month out of their out of their check. The Delta Airlines has been highly successful. You can't, it's you, been you incredibly can, successful. You can try that, but it is fundamentally unfair to hold people's jobs over their heads or threaten their employment to make them do or to compel them to behave the way so you want them to behave. So what's wrong with not allowing smokers to smoke indoors? What's wrong with not allowing health or, uh, people working in restaurants to not wash their hands? Why are those not what's the monetary con What's the monetary punishment for a Clean Air Act, it doesn't. It's not even remotely the same. The Clean Air Act, and whether you smoke inside a building, is nothing like requiring a medical procedure. A look, medical procedure. Look, remember, I mean, here's Democrats said, listen, listen <laughs> Democrats said you can't get a state issued ID to be expected to vote because that's very racist. Because it's very hard to get a state issued ID. Which Let I, me keep in mind that we're at. talking about but the private this vaccine sector mandate, right now. This private vaccine industry. mandate. No, I'm talking right. about Biden talking requiring about, we're everyone talking about the uh, private industry. Jobs over a hundred, and anyone in New York State cannot hey, even can walk into a supermarket or a restaurant much as you if want, you don't right? have a state issued ID. Go to a doctor, get your vaccination, and then have Again. your papers okay. ready to show everyone everybody. in time. How out. in the world is that fair to? We're going to discuss America. this next yeah. week anyway, because after this podcast wrong. gets it's done being recorded wrong. today, we're actually going to have some numbers out of California and New York by the time we meet next week again of how many health care workers or others who've lost their jobs because they didn't get the vaccine. Yeah, they're, they're. And I do want to talk about that because I think it deserves um, some conversation because now all of a sudden we don't have enough nurses and we're going to have fewer nurses. Is it a good idea? We're going to talk about it next week. I'm going to end on a happy well, note. Are you ready for the happy note? So yeah. much. Those Great, first you wanted the speed round. fired. So Speed it's true. So here we go. Um, so this is really just, I'm going to give you some numbers. So a month ago, I believe September 1st, when we were discussing mask mandates at Salt Lake um, City District and some other districts, uh, the health department and whoever runs the coronavirus.org um, put out some tweets and they said that there was um, a projected or a modeled number that in September, Utah could see 39,000 COVID cases in our schools. It's a scary number. People have been worried about it. I always like to check back. So here we are 30 days later. Um, I asked the question too early in the morning before today's numbers came out. So you'll have to add a few onto this. But from September 1st through the 29th, we had 9,594. I'm assuming after today's numbers, we're probably a little over 10,000 for the total. So the good news is, is that everyone was scared of the 39,000 number. We were only about 25% of that. The bad news is that we still had 10,000 uh, COVID cases. Interestingly enough, though, when you go through, you can look on the graphs on the state's website, and it shows how many of those are getting, like, passed in school or you get it in school or and how many are from home. It seems like most kids aren't getting sick at school. So even without masks this year, I don't have a lot of numbers. I'm still waiting on that to come in. It seems like kids aren't really spreading it at school. So we'll take that as good news or no? I don't it's know. It's great news. And then it brings up the question that is the other line, which is why were we so far off of our estimates? Well, I know. I do want to know 60, where the model is. To what, 60,000? So no. Is that the range? So 40 they, to 10. Right? So it's 40 to 10, basically. So they, 
10,000, got it. They estimated around 40,000. 40, yeah, but if you look at the actual, they were like, so that's the median, no, whatever. I'm, no, that, I no, swear, no, they, the health numbers. department gave a range, and the range was ridiculous. Yeah. I forget what the range broad. was, but I'm like, what models were they using? And the weird it, thing is, is I'll put this graphic online, too, that they approximated there would be 39,000 in September modeled, and then they went down to 5,900 in October, so I don't know so, if it was scare tactics for masking or what. Rounding, but with COVID all the time, so I'm going to land, land on something that is really positive. The NCAA this year decided that the women's division can use the title Mark Batman. What's also more exciting is both the men and women's divisions are now meeting regularly, and uh, that's a really big deal. So it's not just lipstick. It is they're meeting regularly, and the other thing they're doing, which is a small procedural change that will make a big difference, is they're wiping out the budget for both tournaments every year and rebuilding them every year. Meaning what happens now often is men's programming they get all the money. They, they have a base budget, and everyone yeah. just goes from the base. So hats off to the NCAA basketball March Madness tournament. And I credit whoever the girl was. I don't remember who she is, and so I apologize. But right. the one who okay. posted the yeah. pictures of the like two like little five-pound hand weights they had compared to what the men had to work out with and prep with before the game. So social media, it can change the world. <laughs> Uh, thank you for coming in. Thanks for spending time with us. Give us a like, tell your friends about us, and we'll be back to discuss and argue and really solve all the world's problems again <laughs> next week.